Hey everyone, welcome to Women's Hoops and Talks, the what podcast, where we are elevating the voice of women in basketball. We are part of the Almighty Baller Network. You can find us in the Blazers Edge podcast feed. I'm Tara. Unfortunately, Kendall's not able to make it today, but don't worry, I do have someone else joining me. She is the editor-in-chief of Mavs Moneyball. That's the SB Nation site covering the Dallas Mavericks. So please welcome Rebecca Lawson. So glad to have you on the podcast today. So glad to join you tonight. Well, let's just dive right in and uh, talk a little bit about where you've been and how you got where you are today and talk about some basketball. So could you tell us a little bit about how you ended up being the uh, editor-in-chief of Mavs Moneyball? Kind of like maybe how you got started with sports and basketball and how you ended up writing and covering them. Yeah, so it's actually kind of a funny story. Um, I've been really into sports since I was uh, since I was small. Uh, my dad was a huge football and baseball fan, and so he kind of brought me into Cowboys fandom. And back then, it was Astros fandom. I've since become a Rangers fan. But um, when I started to look for a new sport to cover, I was kind of interested in you know looking into you know like what's basketball about, and I had never really followed it. And around the time the Mavericks were making their championship run in 2011. Um, was also, so I'm from San Diego, and that was around the time that Kawhi Leonard was making a run in the NCAA tournament with San Diego State Aztecs. And so my roommate at the time was an Aztecs alum. And so we watched all of the Aztecs games, and you know Kawhi was amazing. And I was kind of like, you know, this basketball thing is really cool. I'm not really ready to be done with it. And that was around the time the Mavericks playoff run in 2011 had started. Ironically, they were playing the Blazers in that first round. And so, you know, obviously it was an amazing series for the Mavs and Dirk was fantastic and they kind of got me hooked during that playoff series. So I started following the Mavericks after that and just kind of teaching myself everything about basketball. I So really a recent basketball fan having started following NBA in 2011. And I moved to, I took a new job a couple of years later, moved to Dallas. Um, it was on my list for a variety of reasons, not necessarily related to being a Mavericks fan. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, being a, you know, and being a sports fan and living, it's, it's kind of a unique experience for those of, you know, those of your audience who've never experienced living in the same city as your sports team. I had never had that when I was growing up because I was always a Texas sports fan, but I was always living in California. And so when I got the opportunity to take a job in Dallas, I was like, well, this is cool because it'll be, you know, great, a, a new city for me. And it'll be a cool experience being able to follow all my sports teams and actually go to the games. And so when I got to Dallas, I started looking for friends and looking for a community. And I had been following Mavs Moneyball, the folks who were writing there at the time, and kind of connected with a few of them on Twitter. And finally, I just straight up asked one of them, I'm like, hey, would you guys be able to use another writer? I mean, my MBA experience isn't, you know, I, I don't really know a lot of X's and O's, but I think I could bring a different perspective to the site. And they agreed to let me join. And I just kind of worked my way up from there. So it's kind of a cool story that, like, ironically, the guy who's, well, maybe not so much going to be playing for the Spurs in the future, but we won't get into that. Um, was the guy for a rival team basically brought me into Mavericks fandom. So it's, I'm always grateful to Kawhi Leonard for bringing me into the cool experience that it has been being a Mavericks fan. Well, since you have a long time uh, knowledge of Kawhi and his game and a little bit more, you have a lot more information about him than I do because I did not follow him when he was in college. I'd love to know what your take is on what's going on with him and the Spurs right now. 
You know, it's such a strange thing because I just kind of assumed the Spurs are the kind of organization, as we all know, who follow the NBA even a little bit closely, they don't really lose players. Like players maybe decide to move on for various reasons, but you know, they're they're a destination team. They're 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 a team that people want to come to. And so it's very strange to me to see this whole thing going on around the team. They're, they've been in the media for negative reasons, which is just so uncommon. And I, you know, I don't know that I know much more than anyone else about why this is happening. I don't know what Kawhi's beef with the team is. I know he's not a big talker. He's not a big publicity guy. So it's, I mean, I don't think I have any special insight other than just it's strange to see this in the media so much because I know Kawhi does like to stay out of the spotlight as much as possible. So I I don't know if their relationship is going to be repaired or not. Latest things that I have seen indicate that maybe he would move on to another team, and that's what the Spurs are kind of preparing for him to move on to another team. And yet they're still in the playoffs because, of course, they're the Spurs, or they're probably in the playoffs. So, you know, Spurs will never, as a Mavericks fan, the old joke is that the Spurs will just never, ever, ever die. So, Yeah, I have a, I have a debate going on with my other podcast host about whether or not the Spurs are more like vampires or White Walkers. Oh my gosh, that's a great debate. Which, <laughs> I mean, I'm like fully in the vampire camp because obviously Manu Ginobili was bit by a bat, which is where it all started. Uh, Dan has some compelling arguments about the White Walkers, but we don't have to talk about the Spurs for a really long time. I would love to hear um, about the Dallas 2011 run because it was it was so like... When we look back on it, it's kind of like, where did that come from? It was like this moment in time where everything just came together. What can you recall about um, about the team that year and, you know, where you thought maybe, wow, this is it. They they may be doing it. You know, it's such a it's such a cool year to look back on. And, you know, I'm obviously I'm biased as a Mavericks fan, but when you put the 2011 championship in context of kind of the championships that have surrounded them, and you look at teams like the Spurs, teams like, you know, I was going to say the Heat, but really any team LeBron James is on, <laughs> like, let's face it, um, you know, teams teams that continually are winning these championships year in and year out. And you don't really see a lot of teams just kind of come out of nowhere to kind of break that mold like you do occasionally in the NFL or occasionally in baseball or, you know, something like that. And so in that sense, the Mavericks championship year is really a very unique period in, I think, NBA history. And just in terms of having such a strange little team kind of have a almost like a Cinderella run. And so I the things I remember the most about that series or, or that period of time in that run is really just, first of all, how magical the team was in terms of just always having another comeback in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would just not die. It's like you would think they would out you would think they would be done and the games would always be so competitive. And then they would just kind of come out of nowhere. And there was a different hero every night. It wasn't always Dirk. It was, you know, sometimes it was Deshaun Stevenson. Sometimes it was JJ Barea, you know, sometimes it was one of those little guys who you see them make one of those small contributions in one of those games in such a way that just allowed the team to magically make that run. And it was every game in that sense was just kind of amazing and you 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 kind of were always waiting for it to end and it just somehow never did and it it was magical and i kind of wish that i had picked up following the team a little bit before i did because i know for friends of mine who were long time mavs fans that was a long suffered long long suffering victory for them mm-hmm. and you know having just picked up following the team that year i was you know riding a high right when i started following them but it's been long suffering since then so i guess the next championship around i'll be Claim, claim I got through the suffering too. 
That's funny. Well, a, a couple of things about that run, you know, with the, the that's the that's the championship run that I always think of because you know, Portland is a team right now that is building from within. We're not a team that has been able to attract a bunch of superstars. And I always kind of look at, I always have that Dallas team in the back of my mind as kind of a model of a team that stuck with it and built and, and, you know, had who they had, they had, you know, they had like a superstar or a couple like trans, you know, really amazing players, but there was a lot of role players doing what they needed to do. So I'm always looking at the trailblazers thinking maybe they could create something like, you know, catch lightning in a bottle like they did in Dallas during that time. But I have to tell you also that the um, if you ask a lot of Portland Trailblazers fans what one of their favorite memories is, for a lot of people, it was that Brandon Roy game in that series where he came in and scored 24 points. I think it was 24 points in the last quarter. It was it was it was like a surprise comeback after having knee surgery and he came out and he left it all on the floor it was incredible I remember watching that game with my kids in like a pizza place and just like by the time the game was over like all of the cooks were out of the kitchen all of the waiters we were all standing together watching the game together watching Brandon Roy just transcend everything and then I think that was pretty much the last time he he played in Portland it was it was like quite an amazing um show but it it why uh what this was leading to is that you know it brought us all together and you mentioned that when you moved to Dallas uh you were kind of looking for a community i'm i'd love to hear like over the course of your life you know as a sports fan how has sports contributed to your feeling a part of a community well it's really been it's it's been kind of a weird experience for me because growing up in a city you know san diego is such an interesting city that's where i grew up and it's where i live now and it's such an interesting city in terms of sports because there's not really a big sports community in San Diego. We have a major league baseball team. I mean, but they really suck right now. Padres, for those of you who don't know, they're not worth watching a game. I promise you, because my husband forces me to watch way too many of them. And, you know, we had an NFL team until last year when they chose to move up to LA for basically money reasons. And so you know, it's, there's not really a big sports community here. And so that's why when, you know, I referenced the, the Aztecs and their 2011 um, NCAA championship run, that's why that was so special is because when we do have those sports moments in San Diego, people really rally around them. And so I've always been kind of a fish out of water in terms of, you know, I grew up a Cowboys fan. Well, you know, if I walk into a bar and I think a lot of people will resonate with this, especially as women, you know, you walk into a bar and you have to ask the bartender, like, oh, can you put on like the whatever game? And for me, it was always the Cowboys or the Mavericks. And, you know, they kind of look at you like, oh, you really are interested in the sports game? Or are you just kind of like pretending to be interested in sports to like get a guy or something like that? And, you know, no, it's like, I can't even tell you how many times I've been quizzed on like, do you really know the starting offensive line for the Cowboys? And, you know, all that kind of fun stuff that we've, I think, all been quizzed on at one point or another. But when I moved to Dallas, it was really cool because it really allowed me to see what a city rallying around a team on a regular basis does. And, you know, I really found a lot of my never ending friends that are going to be lifelong friends for me when I moved to Dallas for those three years. So when I joined the Mavs Moneyball staff, I actually um, joined. And then after about a year on staff, I um, was credentialed. And so I was going to every single home game. And some of those guys that I met and, and women who I met through the team are just lifelong friends of mine and will be forever. One of them is going to come out to see my daughter in a couple months, um, you know, 
And it's just, it's just amazing the community of friends that I've built up through being credentialed and through going to these games and, you know, through being, through living in a sports city where, you know, people do rally around the games. It's, you know, kind of like you mentioned your experience with going to watch that game, the playoff game, you know, you go to any bar on an NFL Sunday in, in Dallas and everyone's rooting for the Cowboys. It's amazing. And you go to any bar in San Diego on an NFL Sunday and people might be rooting for a team and they're all rooting for different teams. And it's, you know, so it's just kind of amazing being in a city that rallies around sports. And I think that's really contributed to my sense of community in, you know, just being around those same people and experiencing those highs and those lows with each other. And I think that's just such a, such an emotional experience as, you know, diehard sports fans know that it's, you know, it's really contributed to my community. Yeah, those highs and lows will really uh, bring you together, <laughs> won't they? Um, I'd love to learn more about Dirk Nowitzki. Now, I think it's so interesting. There are so few players anymore who play for a team their entire career, much less for 20 years. And now Dirk is out there saying that if he feels good next year, he's going to keep playing. Yeah. So what does, you know, what does Dirk meant to the, to you as a fan of this team? Uh, what are you going to miss about him when he's gone? And yeah, just like, uh, I love to hear your thoughts on what it's like to be, have somebody so co closely connected for such a long time to a team. Yeah. It's Dirk is just, I can't even ex start to explain how much he means to not only me as a Mavericks fan, but just to the whole Mavericks community and, you know, what he should mean to NBA fans in general. It's, you know, like you said, it's so rare to have a guy stick with a team. Not only, I mean, it, you know, maybe a team like the Spurs or a team like, you know, I'm trying to think of another example of a long, a long, long lived team that, you know, people want to come to, but for the Mavs, they've had such so many low years in their, in their history and so few high years, although they did have a pretty good stretch there before the championship and a little bit after but to have Dirk stay with the team through all those highs and lows, I think it's just, it just goes to show you don't have many superstars who are humble. You don't have many superstars who feel strongly about paying it back to the team that, you know, basically got them their championship or got them to where they are in their career. And Dirk is just, I've been around him a lot. As I mentioned, I was credentialed for a couple of years and, you know, I've been in the locker room around him. He is the most genuine, most humble guy you will ever meet. And he's got a great sense of humor we always joke that he should do Saturday Night Live because he's got this like dry, like raw sense of humor that's hilarious. And he's and he's humble and he's nice. And you don't see that a lot in superstars and you don't see them taking substantial pay cuts to stay with the team. But he's often said, you know, he started with the Mavericks. Dallas is his home. And, you know, he's been pretty vocal about the fact that if they had never won a championship, he probably would have looked to go elsewhere. But once they won that championship, he was like, you know, this is my home. You know, Mark Cuban and Rick Carlisle and the guys who have been around him for most of his career are his family in a sense. And he's really not looking to leave. There have been some rumors here and there about whether he would go to another team and try to chase another championship. But I've always known that those rumors were nothing but, you know, headlines stirred up to get clicks because he's just not that kind of guy. And so what it has meant to have him here in Dallas and stay in Dallas, it's meant in some of these recent down years, it's a reason to keep watching the games. And it's I will watch every Mavericks game if for no other reason than to watch Dirk hit a trail three or to mm -hmm. hit a fadeaway jumper because those moments are becoming increasingly rare in his career. And, you know, I want to treasure all of them. And 
you know, my daughter probably, she's a month old and she probably won't remember any, you know, she definitely won't remember any game that we watched together, but you know, I want to be able to tell her that this was, you know, this is the team you're a fan of and this is the greatest player that ever played for them. So it's uh it's really cool to have that experience. That's awesome. Yeah. What are some of your favorite things about uh, watching the game of basketball? Like, what are your, like, favorite things to watch, favorite moves, maybe some of your favorite players over the years? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I've, you know, I, I'm i going to blank on probably favorite players that I've been able to watch throughout the years. But I will say that, you know, this kind of goes back to my your question of kind of what sports has meant to me as a community. One of my favorite things about the NBA is I feel like in, you know, unlike any other sports league, there really is kind of a community of involved fans around the NBA and, you know, people who are listening to your podcast, I'm not sure if they're, if they're Twitter people or not, but one of the things that I've really enjoyed in terms of following the NBA closely is this, the community of people on Twitter who can all be watching a game together and all be freaking out together and all geek <laughs> out together about like, you know, usually it's the playoffs where everyone's watching the same game at the same time, but I've always thought that one of the funny things is someone could be, you know, tweeting, oh, my God, like, that's such an amazing play. And you don't know what game they're talking about. They could talk about one of like 10 games going on at that point. And so I still remember some days in Dallas when I was flipping through, you know, Mavericks would be out of town and I'd be flipping through League Pass or something like that. And just, you know, being able to stay up and just watch different games and different players and being able to follow different storylines. And the NBA is so much fun. It's not like really baseball is so boring and like, you know, mound visit limitations. And what are people even talking about these days? And, you know, I'm a huge Cowboys fan, so I won't say the NFL is boring, but I think the writers around it are less than interesting for the most part. And, you know, the NBA just has so many fun writers around it, fun personalities around it. I love that, you know, one day you're hearing a story about J.R. Smith untying someone's shoelaces, you know, and it's like, it's like a big deal and everyone's talking about it. And, you know, I just like that everyone has fun. Everyone seems to have a great sense of respect for each other. And I really do feel like it's one of the leagues where women's voices are being heard in terms of sports media a lot more than in other places. So that's one of the cool things about it for me. It's definitely a league that um, never lets you down in terms of always having another story right on the horizon. <laughs> whether or not, like you said, the story is about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or about whether or not, you know, the, the secret wine clubs or about just amazing plays that people who are, um, you know, 39, 40 years old are still making on the or even young rookies who are breaking out. Yeah, every night there's there's a new and exciting story that you didn't think was going to happen. So you mentioned highs and lows earlier. And uh, so what's the etiquette for talking to somebody with the, whose team is um, not racing for the top? (laughs) Yeah. So is it okay to say that? (laughs) They're definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So Dallas is, Dallas is having a a year. Um, What's it like uh, being a fan of a team or reporting on a team uh, who is aiming for that top lottery spot? Oh man. It's, I, I feel like, you know, this season has been very interesting in terms of we knew going into this season that the Mavs would be tanking essentially. So they knew right from the beginning. That's, that's pretty much what the plan was. Cause in Portland, we're always in this place where we're like debating, like, are they going to tank? Should they tank? And for like, like the last like two years, there was always this 
like peripheral tank discussion and so it was like really uncomfortable because nobody knew like which way they were going to go and the team was like no way we're going to do it there's no way but now you have a team where you have the owner taking the players out and telling them that the best thing for them to do is lose man mark cuban needs to shut his mouth sometimes i swear <laughs> Like I, I love him dearly. We can get into that later, but you know, yeah, he needs to show his mouth sometime about stuff like that. But no, it's just, it's interesting. And I feel like I need to take lessons from Sixers fans who have endured this for so many years until, you know, basically this past year, the past couple of years, but it's, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge to cover a team that is, I mean, I won't say they're actively trying not to win, but the way Rick Carlisle usually puts it is some variation on, with the roster we have, there's a certain built-in number of losses, which is a very, very polite way of saying we don't expect to win games this year. And so when you do something like what the Mavs did the other night when they when they trotted out a lineup, I think that was like, you know, J.J. Barea for like 10 minutes of the game and then mysteriously left with an injury is suddenly out for the season and, you know. <laughs> Oh, that ankle surgery that Dirk was probably not going to have till the end of the season. All of a sudden, after that Blazers game, mysteriously, he's like, oh, no, I guess I'll just have that ankle surgery now. <laughs> like, it's the, just the devastating win for the Dallas Mavericks is what they can call it. No, it's so it's a challenge covering the team just from the perspective of, you know, there are only so many things to write about in a season where you don't have a lot of highs. Mm -hmm. And so you have to try really hard to find little things like, you know, I mean, Dennis Smith is obviously a pretty big bright uh -huh. for the team right now. And so, you know, there's only but then again, there's only so many times you can write about, oh, that cool Dennis Smith dunk from last night or, <laughs> you know. Let's, let's check in on how he's doing with, with this particular statistic or something like that. So you really do have to try to find little spots to write about. And so what I've encouraged my writers on, on Mavs Moneyball to do is to go find, go find little plays and make them into bigger things. So go, go break down a particular lineup or a particular, you know, a particular play or a particular player's shooting percentage or something, find an obscure stat or something like that and turn it into 500 words or 750 words. And, you know, so that's how we try to keep the coverage fresh and interesting is to find, you know, obviously if Dirk has a big game, that's worth writing about because everyone loves to still hear about Dirk. And, but you have to, you have to just go try to find the little things and you have to try not to let it get you down from game to game. And, you know, it's been kind of fun towards the end of the season because before I was just watching the games and, I was just kind of like, well, you know, I'm rooting for a fun game and if they lose, fine. And if they win, fine. But as we've gotten towards the end of the season, now that I actively have something to root for, even if it's losses, <laughs> it actually kind of made it more fun to watch because at least I know what I'm rooting for at this point. So something you can get behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a challenge, but you have to, you know, especially as editor in chief of the blog, you have to try to find ways for your staff to embrace it and make it more fun even if it's only fun in kind of a self-depreciating kind of way. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about how uh, you've been covering the Mavericks uh, during this year with the recent harassment uh, story that came out in Sports Illustrated. Man, Cuban never gives us a reason not to write about the team, does he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I guess my first question about the recent har the harassment allegation or story, could, actually, maybe you could summarize it for folks who aren't um, up to speed about what happened. I think most people have a, a vague idea, but maybe give a little synopsis. And then I'm, I'm, my, my first question, though, is, like, did you know about, like, did any of this surprise you? Sure. So just to kind of summarize what's going on at, the, you know, kind of where we where we are, where we were and where we are now, um, there was a story that came out in Sports Illustrated. I think it was 
gosh, let's see, my kid was born a month ago, so it was a little before she was born, so like five or six weeks ago, um, that basically outlined a history within the Dallas Mavericks, not in their, not, not involving players at all, but in their back office. So they're, you know, marketing folks and, you know, ticket sales and things like that. And it turns out that the CEO, um, a guy by the name of Terderma Usuri, and the director of human resources were actually fairly blatantly sexually harassing a lot of their staff. They weren't creating an environment where, you know, women especially could feel supported. It was essentially a boys club. And, you know, if you haven't read the Sports Illustrated article and are interested in learning more, I encourage you to go look it up because it's got a lot of detail. Um, and so the second part of that was they had a, um, the Mavericks had a beat writer, Earl Sneed, who um, had been accused of domestic violence and had actually pled guilty to domestic violence once, um, who had maintained, had remained with the team and was with the team up until the story came out. So that's kind of, that's kind of the crux of the allegations. Um, where we kind of are today is the Mavericks have initiated a independent investigation. I trust, I do trust that it's independent. It's been signed off on by the commissioner and he, you know, has said that he feels it is independent. So he's fine with it. Um, they've kind of revamped their back office staff. They've hired someone new to come in who has a very good reputation to kind of investigate and clean house and do, you know, the internal things that need to be done to change the workplace culture that has been so pervasive for so long. Um, so there's kind of two parts to the story. One of them is the sexual harassment stuff that was going on that affected the team in that particular way. And then the other part of it is Earl Sneed, who was the beat writer who maintained, who remained on staff after the team knew about the allegations. So in terms of being surprised by this or, or unsurprised by it, I have to say that I think to a T, every single one of us was incredibly surprised. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I've been around the team for a long time at this point, for several years, at least recently. And, you know, I've been credentialed. I'm still, I still try to go to games up in Los Angeles when the team's in town. So I've kind of maintained my credential status that way. I knew Earl Sneed. Um, he was, you know, always very nice to me. Um, helpful in, you know, times when I needed help. A lot of times I would go to the games in LA and I'd know my way around Staples Center at the beginning. And he was very helpful in, you know, helping me out and helping me around. It was always had a nice word for me. And, you know, a lot of my staff has had similar interactions with him. He was a little bit, you know, a little bit of a player, but it gave off that vibe, I should say. But, you know, I don't think any of us expected that he was, you know, going to be accused of domestic violence and have, pl have pled guilty to domestic violence. Um, you know, and the harassment culture, none of us knew about because, you know, as a reporter, you're not really, you're around the players. Mm -hmm. You're not really around the marketing people and the, you know, and things like that. And so it, it just came as a shock because, you know, Mark Cuban is, he, he really does have his hands in everything that relates to the team. And, you know, he claims he didn't know about a lot of this that was going on, that he was relying on the CEO and the HR director to update him, which obviously they were part of the problem. So they're not getting good updates from them, but you know, it's, it's, it was surprising just because I feel like Mark Cuban is not the kind of guy who would allow that to continue. And there have been some things that have come out since then in terms of, you know, he did know Earl had pled guilty to domestic violence and chose to keep him with the team. Um, you know, he did have his hands in some of the stuff that was going on in the back office, although to what extent is not really clear. And so to me, that's been extremely disappointing. And it's been very hard because this is a team that I thought had a great culture around them, whether or not they were winning or losing. 
at least they respected their employees. They had a lot of diversity on their staff, still have a lot of diversity on their staff. And to have something like this hit the team is just, it's, as a fan, it's very hard to reconcile because this is the team that you watch day in and day out. And it's very hard to reconcile that this stuff was going on, especially as a woman, that, you know, Mark chose to keep Earl on staff, even knowing that he beat his girlfriend and pled guilty to it and did it a second time and kept him on staff. And to me, that's so disheartening. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, I'm a big Mark Cuban fan. And this stuff surrounding the team has made me question whether I should be a big Mark Cuban fan, because I don't know how involved he was. Obviously, there's an investigation and we'll find out more. But, you know, as the owner of the team, the buck stops with him. And he had to have some idea, at least with Earl, he's admitted to knowing, you know, what had happened with him. And if he admits to that, then, you know, he had to have had some idea of stuff that was going on around the team. So I'm going to be very interested to see what comes out of the investigation. And I'll reserve judgment until then. But I will say it took us all by surprise. And ultimately, it's been very disappointing. A a couple of follow-up questions. One thing is that the article's made really clear that there were um that the players were not involved in this and even in fact the the article went out of its way to um dem- you know talk to uh talk to people who said no the locker room is actually where i felt safer right but i'm wondering have have the how have you seen or have has there been much talk about how any of this has affected the players like did it get through to them or did they have any reactions or were they pretty sheltered from everything that was going on how how have the players been affected by all of this that you know of so my understanding is that the players really had just as much idea as the rest of the general public did when this broke so you know Dirk did you know, make some comments about it right after it happened, you know, indicated that he was very sorry for all the victims and um, for all the people who were involved and the people who were hurt. It didn't really seem like he had any idea. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, he's such a good guy. He's not really the kind of guy who I would see sticking around a team for as long as he has in his 20 year career Mm -hmm. knew that that was the culture around it. He has a daughter, you know, he's very respectful of women you know, I've been in the locker room for, I was there for two straight seasons, I think on credential. And then I've been in their locker room in LA and, you know, the players are very respectful women. There's a fair amount of female reporters around the team and female staff, their director of communications, Sarah Melton is a woman. And, you know, that's, it's just, the locker room was a great place. It, It was a place that I always felt welcome. And so it's, it's very interesting to see, you know, the players reactions seem just as shocked as the rest of us, those who have spoken out, which haven't been many and, you know, they're keeping quiet and rightfully so like, there's no reason that they should get involved in, you know, an investigation that's happening in a different part of the team. But uh, I mean, Dirk's made some public comments. Rick Carlisle's made some public comments, you know, to the same extent of like, yeah, it's disappointing, but you know, we've got a season to play and we've got, you know, work to do and, you know, we'll let the investigation play out. So they've been fairly quiet about it. Um, but my guess is that they were just as shocked as the rest of us, but you know, they're obviously, they're not affected by it and they don't have any choice, but to continue to play. So I think they're doing the best they can, which is issuing, you know, statements where they can that are, you know, fairly politically correct. And then, you know, moving on with playing. So, so now after the initial shock wore off, Mm -hmm. you're the managing editor of a big site, uh, that has to cover the team. So what were your initial, like your first reactions for what you would do as the, uh, as the editor for this site and how did you decide or how did you move forward in your coverage of the team? 
Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. We chose to take a, um, and you know, if anyone who's, anyone who's read our site won't be surprised by what I'm about to say is, is that we chose to take kind of a two pronged approach. One was that we didn't feel like it was responsible journalism to ignore the scandal. And, you know, there are a few websites out there who we, or a few media outlets in Dallas, I should say, who we felt were kind of irresponsible in their coverage. There was, you know, the Dallas Morning News essentially published a statement from one of the, from Earl that was, you know, unfiltered. I mean, hmm. we, so we chose to really call out the media coverage on that, on that side of it and call out people who, you know, we felt were covering the harassment scandal irresponsibly. And we did, we felt like a lot of the old school media in Dallas was covering it with the perspective of, you know, oh, well, you know, we're part of the boys club too. And, you know, we're going to give a pass to Earl. There was a journalist who had a radio show who basically let Earl come on and defend himself with kind of no pushback. Hmm. And so we chose to be very aggressive and just kind of be the counterpoint. And we called out the media coverage. And then, but at the same time, we still have to do game previews and game recaps. And we want to cover the action that's going on in the court and be fair to the players who really had nothing to do with this. So what I told my staff and the consensus we kind of came to was, you know, we want to cover this harassment scandal. We want to cover it responsibly. And we want to be the voice out there in the media that, you know, we don't feel that the traditional media outlets are being and advocate for the victims and advocate for culture change. But at the same time, the players weren't involved in this. And so we can still, you know, basically what I told my husband, who was like, I don't know if I want my daughter to be a Dallas Mavericks fan anymore. And I told him, I'm like, you know what? The players didn't do this. Mm-hmm. This wasn't this wasn't a culture of, you know, locker room boys club or anything like that. This was something that was back office. And the players still, you know, the players still have to go out there and play and they have to represent this team. And Dirk has been with this team for so long. And I, I can't see myself stopping being a fan of this team for this reason, because I love the players so much. And because I think it's not fair to them to lose my support for something that they weren't involved in. And so we continued to cover the team from a, from a game perspective, the way we always have. And I thought that was the only fair way to do it. Now, as uh, you know, as the season winds down, is there anything else that you expect to develop out of anything you all are waiting to hear about on this story or what's what's next in this whole story? So I think the only thing we're really waiting for is the results of the independent investigation at this point. And there are stories that continue to kind of trickle out. Um, there was one of the women who spoke to Sports Illustrated for the story who did a follow up where she, you know, essentially, you know, came out herself. And was like, you know, I want I want my name to be out there and I want to know that I want everyone to know that this is not anonymous people making these complaints. And so I think there will continue to be small things like that. There was the whole thing where someone dug up some police interview with Mark Cuban related to a harassment thing that happened several years ago. Um, so I think there will continue to be small stories like that and we will cover those as they come out. But you know, I think at this point, everyone's getting a little fatigued with it. And so I think the thing we're really just waiting for are the results of this independent investigation to come out. And I don't know, I've been given no indication as to when that will be. So um, we'll, yeah, like I said, we'll continue to cover the smaller stories as they come out. But ultimately, I think we're just waiting for that investigation. Well, thank you for sharing what was going on. Because that, I mean, that's a that was a heavy story. I remember when that came out being, I, I was shocked. I mean, I'm sure my shock was nothing compared to yours, but to have to simultaneously 
process it, you having been associated with the team and knowing people on the team who work for the team, like you have to process it. Like this is happening to these people that I work with. And at the same time as you have to keep doing your job of covering the team, that must've been really hard. So glad you, you came, you made it, made it out of there. That sounds like it was probably really tense. Um, Moving on to another topic, what kind of summer do you think is in store for Dallas in terms of the types of things that uh, people are going to do? Are you, well, I guess you're hoping for a high lottery pick. (laughs) Yes, yes, we are. Um, You know, hoping for a high lottery pick, obviously, Um, you know, there's been, we have two guys on our, on our blog who cover college pretty well, who cover college for our blog. And they've been watching them write and debate has been a lot of education for me because I don't follow NCAA very closely. And so, you know, every article that the two of them write is just a, is just a hardcore education for me. So I, I, you know, I'm starting to get to the point where I know these college players names like the back of my hand and, you know, so I'll be very interested to see who the Mavericks go for in the draft and where they end up landing in the draft. Cause I think that will be, you know, it's kind of strange. Last year was one of the first years that the draft was actually a significant thing for the Mavericks. And it was just so strange to actually be following the draft that closely because we're so used to the Mavericks. The Mavericks historically just have bad drafts. And so it's like, it's, I don't know if it's scouting or whatever it is, but they have a tendency to pick like a combo guard from some university that no one's heard of. And, you know, so they end up not having players that actually stay with the team for a while or that are any good. And so Dennis Smith was really the first player that the Mavericks have drafted that there's been genuine excitement around um, in terms of having someone who, appears to be a game changer, appears to be legitimately amazing, um, you know, and is someone who the franchise can build around. And so I know we're all hoping for, you know, another similar type pick that, you know, you know, wherever they end up landing in the draft, but someone who can also kind of be a young guy who can be around the franchise, who can be a game changer. And so we can start building, you know, and the team had said, and Cuban has said, and the organization has said, they don't really want to tank for a number of years. They don't want to be the next Sixers. So I think they're looking for someone who can change the game fast. I also expect them out to be really active in free agency. Um, they have the most cap space of any team. I believe it's the most cap space of any team in the league going into the summer. And so I wouldn't, I would be shocked if they weren't extremely active in trying to get free agents to sign. LeBron to Dallas, huh? Has that been a topic that he's Dallas is like the one of the only teams I haven't heard LeBron associated with. Yeah. LeBron's going to the Lakers. Let's all be <laughs> <laughs> I would be remiss and in trouble with Trailblazer fans if I didn't ask how Wesley Matthews is doing. Uh, you you might know that he was a huge fan favorite up in Portland, and people were quite sad yeah. when he left. And um, yeah, how's he doing? So I I will have to say that I I really love Wes. I've been around him in the locker room. I've been you know I know the Mavericks are huge fans of his. He is just as you guys well know he's just is an incredible person. He's an incredible person in terms of like being a team leader and being a tough guy and just laying it all out there on the court. And I think he's really endeared himself to Mavericks fans and to the organization for just the way he plays his attitude, his leadership. Um, So we all really like him in Dallas. I know the team really likes him. Um, The injury was unfortunate. It's a stress fracture in his right fibula. Um, We haven't really heard anything more about that. I think it, news about that just broke not long ago. It looks like it was around middle of March. So, you know, word at the time was he would likely miss the rest of the season, the way the rest of the Mavericks have been. Yeah. Conven- <laughs> they're certainly not rushing him back. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no, so they've been conveniently dropping like flies with injuries. I'm putting that in air quotes, even though no one can see it. So, 
Um, I don't see him coming back this season. Um, I no doubt that he'll be back next season and probably, you know, just as tough as ever. I have been kind of disappointed though. I know he was really hoping and everyone was really hoping that with the contract he originally signed with Dallas, that he'd be able to get back some of that former um, glory that he had with the Blazers for those couple of seasons where he got really great. And I just think that the injury um, is going to be too much to overcome, but you know, no one really comes back from those really well, but he's been great. And he, I've been, it's been a joy having him on the team and, you know, I hope he sticks around. And if not, I hope he was able to go somewhere where he can, you know, actually do some stuff in the playoffs and, you know, maybe win a championship because he deserves it. Yeah. He's one of those guys that you, if you know, no, uh, nobody in Portland, I don't think would ever, um, well, I don't know. I, I don't think people would be, I think people would be happy for him if he won a championship. We would all rather wish that he had won it here because they were having, they were just, they were on fire when he went. I was in the arena when he went down and it was just like, oh, oh he's, fine. he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's going to get up. He's yeah. going to be fine. He's fine. He's Wesley Matthews. He's fine. Yeah. And that's that like... not what happened. Yeah. It was. It was quite yeah. depressing. So um, uh, one more question about about the team. And, you know, as somebody who's been in the locker room for a couple years, you know, covering Dirk and Wesley Matthews, do you have any favorite stories that you tell people about players or interactions or fun things that happened to you while you were covering the team? Yeah, I actually have a couple. Um, so I'll give you I'll give you two that are that are my favorites. The first one happened when I was in Dallas and it was probably the first time first and only time I broke a story and it wasn't really a significant story. So it'll make you laugh. Um, it was back when, back when Monte Ellis played for the Mavericks and you know how, when you're in the arena, they'll do like, you know, they'll occasionally do like the dance cam and like some little kid will win it. And it's always really great. So we were all joking in the press box that day because some little kid wearing, I think it was like a, God, it was like a, it was a Gucci sweatshirt. Some little kid wearing a Gucci sweatshirt won the dance cam contest. We were all just joking about it. Then later on in the locker room, we're all talking to Monte and someone asked him and his, his son was there wearing the Gucci sweatshirt. And so someone asked him, they're like, wait, was that your kid who won the dance cam contest? And he was like, oh yeah, no, he's great. And so I immediately like booked it back to the media room and like wrote the story about Monte his son winning the dance cam contest. And like <laughs> the only story I've ever broken, but I'm still really proud of it. Yeah, First to file. Nice job. Um, <laughs> The other story that's pro this this one's probably actually my favorite story was when I was back in Southern California, but I was up at a uh, up at a Mavs Clippers game, and you know if anyone remembers Mark his or Mark Cuban has a pretty good history of being fined, and so that was um, back when before um, gosh it was when Stern was still the commissioner I think it was right at the very end, and the Clippers came back to win that game. It was a Mavs Clippers game, and they came back to win that game being down, like, 16 points in the last, like, two minutes or something crazy like that. It was an absurd, absurd <laughs> comeback victory for the Clippers. And so Cuban storms the court. He got fined $100,000 for storming the court. And he comes back down into the tunnel, and because the team was traveling – it was just me and like two other guys. Cause I lived in Southern California and there's like, you know, the Dallas morning news guy. And like, I think it was Earl or something like that who travels with the team. And so Cuban storms down into the tunnel. And I guess there had been some foul. And I think it was Sean Marion at the time. And he looks at me and Eddie Sefko from the Dallas morning news. And he looks straight at me. He's like, did you see that play? What did you think of that play? <laughs> and I just like stopped. Dead in my chest. I'm like, I don't know. Mark Cuban just asked me my opinion about something. I don't know what the right answer to this question is. And I remembered the play, but I was so flustered. And I was like, um, yeah, I saw that. I thought that was crazy. Like, like what non-committal answer can I give here? 
And so he, he says something and I'm trying and struggling to remember at the time what it was. He gives some like crazy answer and Eddie Sevko asks, he's like, is that on the record? He's like, yeah, it's on the record. Yeah, it's on the record. And just like walks back into the locker room, which wasn't open to the media yet. <laughs> and so then their, then their assistant director of communications comes back out and looks at me and Eddie, he's like, don't tweet any of that yet. And of course we had already tweeted it all. It was hilarious. I just kind of looked at Eddie and I'm like, he said on the record. And he's like, no, he said on the record. I'm like, okay, I just want to make sure I heard that. But it was kind of a funny moment of me being like a lowly, I would say lowly, but like a lowly blogger standing next to the Dallas morning news guy and Mark Cuban, basically both treating us, treating us like we were equals, which was kind of cool. <laughs> it's like your blog boy moment, right? like, <laughs> I can't stop making blog boy references all week. That Kate, that Kevin Durant, um, Bill Simmons interview just was so rich. I just can't stop. Pretty amazing. Let's see. So before we close, I have one last topic that I want to ask you about, and that is NBA 101 basketball for women. Now, yeah. I first learned about NBA 101 basketball for women through some tweeting. A couple, it was like, I think it was out 2016. Yahoo mm -hmm. Sports wrote this story about this event that the Dallas Mavericks were holding called nba 101 basketball for women and mm -hmm. the yahoo thing was like all about like how offensive it was and i saw it first and i was like oh my god that's so offensive and because it was like obviously you know insinuating that women don't know anything about basketball right. but i was like you know what i gotta before i really complain about this i need to find out what this is so i went on the dallas website and i learned about nba 101 basketball for women and it was, it's like a, you can tell more about it, but it's like a, you know, a women only event where women come in and they get to talk to coaches. They got to learn about the game. They get to learn about how a team is run. Um, yeah. And I was like, this sounds super cool. <laughs> like I would love to do something like this. So yeah. there was a lot of bad press and publicity about you know about this event but it also sounded like super interesting so i'm wondering how did you attend and what are your thoughts and feelings about nba 101 basketball for women so i did not attend but we had another female reporter on our or a female staffer who did attend and so she wrote something about it and you know it was very interesting because i think part of the reason it was so controversial when it was announced and the maps have actually been doing this event for like a decade so mm -hmm. it's this is not a new thing for them, but I, I think for whatever reason, at the time it came out, it garnered some publicity. And I don't know if it was just because it was a dead time in the NBA or I don't remember, but there's, I mean, there's been a lot of other of these like kind of ladies night type events that don't really go over very well. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just kind of that it got some random publicity at a time where these events for women are being closely scrutinized. And, you know, the marketing that came out around it, and I think this is what caused some of the controversies, the marketing that came out around it was like, pink text mm -hmm. and sparkles you know, there were sparkles. sparkles there's like sparkles and pink text and you know the Mavs do have like a women's fan club that either used to be called or is still called hoops and heels which I've always thought was super offensive and you know because like I'm not wearing heels to games let's be real it's a game mm -hmm. and you know so it was very interesting and in that it came out around that time and so our you know we wrote something we wrote two pieces about it the first one we wrote was kind of in defense of the concept of it you know, we did criticize the marketing. We thought, you know, the pink really does miss the mark. Like not all women wear pink, like pink is not a team color. Like let's be real and let's be a little more respectful of these women that you're trying to recruit to come to this event. But at the same time, we thought, you know, what a cool thing to have a women's only event that really allows women the safety to learn in an environment that's maybe a little less patronizing 
you know, in terms of guys who might be coming to these events who already know a lot about basketball and would potentially talk down to women, you know, who are trying to learn in kind of a safe environment. And so, you know, in that sense, the Mavericks really do this event well. Um, they do bring in women who are, I think there's a lot of them who are season ticket holders, but a lot who are outside who are just, you know, they really do kind of want to learn about basketball in an environment where they don't feel like they're being talked down to or critiqued or, you know, looked down on for wanting to learn more and for not knowing as much as they actually do. And I think that's really cool. There are some organizations who have done these types of events or have purported to do these types of events who have not done them well. And they really have been like, you know, the cleat chasers of the world, you know, just trying to get their pictures with players and things like that. And that's not the type of event this is. And so I think when there was all this controversy around it, that's what people were equating it with. And it really is kind of one of the better done events of this type around sports. So kudos to the Mavericks for doing an event like this and doing it right. Yeah. I mean, when I read about it, like I said, I was like, that sounds really cool. And yeah. I, I was like, do the, tra-. of course, the first thing I did was I looked up to find out if the trailblazers did that. And I was like, well, no, I don't see anything that the trailblazers have ever done that. And I was like, well, maybe there's some other group of women out there because when I think about it, some of the most you know avid and passionate fans that I know are women. And so I was like, there's gotta be, you know, some, there's gotta be some forum or some venue for, uh, you know, women who all love the trailblazers. And there really is no unit unifying organization or overarching organization. So like I just started these meetups because I was I figured there would be one in existence and there wasn't. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll start women's hoops and talks and see who comes. And it's not like we have the access that the, uh, you know, that they do in Dallas when they put on this big event. But I thought I wanted to start building something so that someday in the future, the Blazers might decide they want to do something like that. And I think the key for that to that to be a success is if it's run and planned by women for women and if they just turn it over to women to, to run it um, and let the women do the marketing and let them decide what is going to go over well, because I mean, women are a huge part of the fan base. And also by the way, they're the part, a huge part of the fan base that spends a lot of money. So, I mean, they, a lot of, you know, in a lot of families, it's the women who make the the purchasing decisions. So, I mean, if I was an NBA team, I would be doing more events like this. Do you know anything about like the name of the group aside hoops and heels? um, Do you know anything more about, about that organization? Do they still exist? Are they around? You know, my understanding is that they are the branding around that hoops and heels does not exist anymore. And I think it was really more of a they call it like the lady MFFLs, which is Mavs fan for life. It's kind of your your Mavericks fan motto, Mm -hmm. but they call it the lady MFFLs. I think they retired the hoops and heels jargon, Um, but it's. You know, that particular thing was just more of like a fan club thing for season ticket holders. And I don't think that was really like intended to educate as opposed to this event that they were doing every year that really was targeted towards like bringing like educating. And so they're two like distinct things. And I've, I've, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's so much merchandise out there and I have, we have another writer on our staff, Kate Crawford, who, you know, we keep an eye on like the women's fan gear that comes out every year. So that we can make fun of like, I'm not sure every team has them, but like, you know, the, the blue and silver bedazzled, like high heels and, you know, mm-hmm. like the glitter shirts and things like that. And we write an article occasionally, like just mocking all of the bad fashion that's out there for women fans. Yeah. But- 
On the one hand, it's, you know, there there's, you know, some really uh, amazing fashions out there for women. But, like, on the other hand, like, I like pink and I like sparkles. And if I see something that's cute really? and it has a blazer pinwheel on it, like, I'm going to want to buy it. So it's, it's really, cool, it's become really hard to, like, know, like, how to be a fan. Like, is it okay to be a fan like this? And I've sort of come to the opinion that there's, like, no wrong way to be a fan. There's just a whole bunch of, like different ways to be a fan and one of the like women have been sort of you know marginalized in terms of being able to learn about stuff because what i've found as i've tried to learn more about basketball is that i'm afraid to get an, an edge a word in edgewise because i don't want to like ask a question and sound stupid yeah. um and so like i went to this referee thing once where a referee came and he answered questions about and like the whole time i like kind of like really timidly held up my hand but i didn't just like hold it up and, you know, blurt out a question. And so my question never got answered. And guess whose questions all got answered. So just having a, a a place where I wouldn't, I would not feel so intimidated, I guess. Does that make sense? No, it's, and that's what the Mavericks I think are really trying to do. And with this one-on-one event is they're really trying to have an environment, you know, where women do feel like they can ask their questions and not feel like, you know, they're going to get overshadowed by a guy who really just wants to know like the details of, you know, the intricacies of a certain type of play or, you know, something like that. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like I'm, I'm a pretty recent NBA fan and I just kind of figured out how to identify a pick and roll on my screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm never going to be the most technical expert person in the room, but I can talk circles around a lot of people who claim a lot of guys who claim to be sports fans and are really only casual fans. So yeah. Well, I think that I, I think it's uh, really interesting. I want to keep I, I'm toyed with the idea of like someday saving up my money and like flying down to attend just to see what it's like, because I I think it would be really interesting. And I would love to replicate that. Yeah. Sometime in, in other places just to give other women a chance to, to do that kind of thing. Well, and I think well, it's what you're doing in terms of bringing women together and, you know, giving them that space to kind of talk about sports um, in a way that they don't have in a lot of communities, because it's, it's it really is true that we do, you know, have to prove ourselves a little bit more than the average fan sometimes. So I think it's awesome that you just kind of took it upon yourself to do that. Well, when you're in Portland, you got to come. And if you come during the season, you can plan and come out, come to a women's hoops and talks and you can bring your new daughter and she can come to her first women's hoops and talks meetup in Portland. Or you could start your own in San Diego. Well, one of my best friends lives in Portland. So that's definitely a thing that I want to get out and do. Awesome. Well, I look forward to meeting you face to face someday. It's been awesome talking to you tonight. Uh, Before we go, we always have one last question that we ask everybody. And that is who is a woman who inspires you in sports or not in sports? Um, That's, that's a great question. And, you know, I thought a lot about it because you had kind of given me that in advance. And I, you know, I, I thought really hard about it. And, you know, there's two, there's two kind of answers to that. One of them is honestly, this is going to sound so cliche, but my mom, like she has just really been an awesome example. She's not a huge sports fan, ironically enough, but she's just been like a great example for me in my life. She's always got some cool independent project going on. She's always got some new thing or, or interesting idea for like something she could be doing outside of just her job. And you know, that's really inspired me to be creative in my hobbies and, you know, in reaching out to different people and, you know, figuring out kind of what I want to do outside of just my career. So that's one thing. And then another person who I really admire a lot, and I think I mentioned her name earlier, the Mavericks have a director of communication, Sarah Melton, who 
I just, you know, I've come to respect her tremendously. I've seen her work the locker room. I, you know, for her to be in a position of that kind of authority within an NBA organization is just really, really cool. And it just kind of goes to show that, you know, women do have a place in NBA locker rooms and in sports locker rooms, and they can have significant positions in these kinds of organizations and have it be authoritative and have it be respected. And I think that's so cool. And I really admire her for that. Cool. Well, kudos to your mom for being an inspiration for you to uh, figure out how to expand your life and enrich your life with lots of different uh, hobbies and sports being one of them. That's awesome. Um, Before we go, do you want to let people know where they can find your work? Sure. Um, So I'm, uh, as mentioned, I'm the editor-in-chief of Mavs Moneyball. So you can find us at MavsMoneyball.com. You can find me on Twitter at Becca after six, and you can find the blog on Twitter at Mavs Moneyball. Awesome. Well, thanks. That's that's going to do it for this edition of Women's Hoops and Talks, the What Podcast. We are hosted by Blazers Edge, which is part of the Almighty Baller Radio Network. If you like what you heard, please go find Blazers Edge Podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe and rate and review. We release new episodes of the What Podcast every other Thursday. If you just want to get notified when the What Podcast episodes are released, you can follow us on at Hoops and Talks. I'm on Twitter at TCB Biggs. And Kendall, who will be back with us soon, she is also on Twitter at KendallBennett16. Thanks for joining us, everyone.